Welcome to sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. This is the fun of COVID. It's like every week we're learning something new. So I've never preached on Zoom before, so this is brand new. But let me just read the text. You can open it up on your computers or keep it open in your lap. And we will just spend time in scripture here. Luke 19, verses 41 to 48. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day, what would bring you peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. The word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of just being able to gather like this as a community. Thank you that you have been leading us this year in prayer. And as we have spent time thinking and preaching on prayer, as we have spent time in your presence, uh, Father, help us to understand that you are our peace and we enter your presence through prayer. So Holy Spirit, come open our eyes, show us how to continue to walk faithfully as you reveal to us the word of God, and let us be a people that glorifies your name each and every day. We praise in Christ's name, amen. All right. I will have to say that threw me for a loop getting kicked off at the beginning of my preach, so I feel kind of disoriented, but that's okay. I'm getting my bearings back here. I'm just looking down at my little notes to figure out where I was all right, so it's good. As we spend the next five weeks in Luke and as we tackle uh, this text, it's actually really fun. We are arriving in Jesus' long-awaited arrival in Jerusalem. Now, for those who've ever read or watched The Hunger Games, you realize pretty early on that uh, the capital is kind of the major point of the story, and from a literary standpoint, is probably where the story is going to end. It's kind of the big climactic scene of where this whole journey is going. And the book of the Gospel of Luke is the same way with Jesus in Jerusalem. We have this long journey of Jesus journeying toward Jerusalem. Actually, all the way back in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Let me just read this for you. No need to flip there. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. See, the book of Luke has Jesus slowly journeying toward Jerusalem. That's like 10, 11 chapters of Jesus just heading in that direction. Jesus knew that Jerusalem, the capital city, uh, the heart of Jewish worship, the place where the temple was, was where he would go and be crucified and, and he would raise from the dead. The previous passage that we had, and so Luke chapter 9 to 19, is just Jesus' journey there preparing his disciples and helping them understand what this upside down kingdom is all about. The previous text, the context of this text is Palm Sunday, actually. Uh, less than a week before Jesus' uh, crucifixion on the cross, 
he arrives in Jerusalem, heading toward Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. People are waving palm branches. They're laying cloaks down on the ground. And, and it, they're giving him the entrance of a king returning from battle victorious. And as they welcome this king, the thing that people failed to realize, and even his own disciples, was who Jesus was and how he would bring peace to the land. As we look at scripture today, I think we'll see three questions emerge. We'll explore what is the peace that Jesus brings? How can we experience that peace through prayer? And what hinders us from entering into his presence? You know, if I was going to describe our city, and I was born and raised here in Toronto, the word I would not use is peaceful. Like, I love Toronto. I love it dearly with all my heart. Yeah, our Torontonians are polite. We definitely don't live in a war zone. But what Torontonians value is efficiency, hustle, you know, working long hours. And if there's something that summarizes Toronto well, it's the 401. See, the 401 was the last time you saw anyone driving on the 401 being like, this is such a peaceful adventure. Unless you're out at 2 in the morning or during COVID, like, really, it's not exactly the most peaceful place. Actually, the people who drive peacefully on the 401 are the people who get horned at and yelled at and screamed at all the way on their journey. Um, if you ask people how they're doing, you know, how often is someone just like, you know, I just feel so peaceful. No, that you're more often going to find some say, you know, I'm busy. People who talk about how they're overwhelmed or they're in a rush. And the reality is, life is busy. We are in a rush. You know, between our kids' homework, balancing school and our friends and our life, taking care of our parents, taking care of our kids. And even these days with our phones, there's just so many challenges that as a blessing as a phone is, it helps us stay connected. It also keeps us distracted and feeling more busy and like a flurry of activity. You know, I think especially with young kids, and the only way I'm preaching this sermon is my wife has graciously taken all the kids out of the house or else the audio for this call would be terrible uh, with all of them yelling and screaming in the background. But even for us with raising young ones, like we feel exhausted and tired. And sometimes, you know, I just tell myself, oh, I just don't feel peaceful at all. Like once I get them all to bed and they're all sleeping, then I will experience peace. Yet the reality is, even after I put my kids to bed after an exhausting day and I sit down on the couch, rarely do I ever feel a deep sense of peace in that moment. I think peace is something we all desire, but it's hard to obtain. So in Luke, when Jesus is approaching Jerusalem, it's interesting, he weeps. He weeps because uh, they have failed to see the peace that Jesus is bringing them, a deep, real sense of peace. It's not a peace that overthrows the ruling Romans. It's not a peace that comes through violence. It's the peace that comes from what we often refer to as this upside-down kingdom, the values of Christ's kingdom that he's ushering into this world. It's called to love your neighbor, care for the poor, the marginalized, and the foreigner, and those who are oppressed. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. You know, this is supposed to be a city of peace, a gathering point for the world where people would worship the one true God. Yet it wasn't a city. That was peaceful. There is religious upheaval. There is factions, religious factions that were fighting each other. They're, they were living under Roman rule and oppression, and it wouldn't take the people of Jerusalem a week to take Jesus and hang him on a cross. Not exactly the, you know, what we think of as a city of peace. And because they rejected Jesus, 
there would be trouble. Look at verses 43 and, four, 43 and 44. The end days would come when your enemies would build an embankment. Uh, they will dash you to the ground and they will not leave one stone on another. Why? Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. You know, even if you flip over a page into Luke 21, verses 5 and 6, the disciples show up. They're in Jerusalem. Jesus is with his disciples, and they're talking about the beauty of the temple. And Jesus simply says to them, as for what you see here, a time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. It's crazy to think Jesus here prophesies over the destruction of Jerusalem. In chapter 21, he talks about how the temple will be destroyed. And this all occurs in the year AD 70, a few decades after the life of Jesus. And why this has all happened? Because in verse 44, it says, you did not recognize the time of God coming to you. You see, the people failed to realize that peace wasn't going to be ushered in through a king who, who knocked off the Roman oppressive regime. It would come through the person of Jesus. See, the peace that Jesus brings is Jesus himself. He is our peace. Uh, he is, uh, at Christmas, we often refer to the phrase, he is our prince of peace. You see, the peace that Jesus brings is one that comforts us when we are weeping, when we are mourning, when we're going through difficult times, when we struggle with depression and anxiety, when we grieve the loss of a loved one. But his peace is actually something much bigger than that, if we can imagine. You know, when God created the world and humankind chose to sin and rebel against God, uh, we went our own way. And that peace between us and God, that relationship was broken. That God in his great love sent Jesus Christ to this earth to live a perfect life, to die on the cross and take upon him the sins of all humankind. So that whoever put their trust in him would have an abundant and eternal life with Jesus. See, what Jesus did on the cross was the greatest act of peace of all time. He reconciled us in our relationship to God, a chasm that was broken, but through Christ's death and resurrection, we have been restored in our fellowship and relationship to the God of the universe. You see, when we talk about peace, this is where we need to start. The fact that peace is really about what Jesus did on the cross. And from there, what he did on the cross allows us to experience peace in our daily life, whether we are just going around about our mundane life, whether we are grieving, weeping, or going through difficult times. The peace that Jerusalem rejected was Jesus himself, the bringer of peace, our Prince of Peace. So it should come as no surprise in the next section, in verses 45 to 48, that is when Jesus enters Jerusalem, the place he goes is to the heart of worship. He goes right to the temple. And for the next several weeks as we study uh, scripture, we're going to be, in, as we're in the book of Luke, we're going to be spending a lot of time in and around the temple. And I think we just need to take a moment to understand kind of some of the background of what the temple was about. Now, often we think about the temple, we think about a sacrificial system and lambs being killed. And this is the place the high priest would bring a lamb once a year uh, to kill on for the sins of the people and himself. And this would be a place where all the religious gatherings would take place and people would gather from all different lands and come to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices and worship uh, Yahweh. Now, Jerusalem was supposed to be this capital, the center of Jewish life, and the temple was at the heart of it. And in the temple, right in the middle, was something called the inner courts. And the physical object there that mattered the most 
was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, many of you will know the Ark of the Covenant was something that existed even before the temple was built under Solomon, a thousand years before. The Ark of the Covenant went with the Jewish people as they crossed over the Jordan into the Promised Land. As they went into battle, the Ark of the Covenant would go with them because it was what? It was God's presence with them. It represented God amongst his people, leading and guiding and directing his people. You know, it was just, it's this beautiful imagery of God amongst his people. And so this ark at the center of the temple is God's presence there. And this is why the temple was so significant. It was a place for those all over the world to come and gather and worship the one true God. So when Jesus in verse 46, if you have your Bible, declares, it is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. We have to understand what this temple was supposed to be. Isaiah 56, which Jesus is quoting, the house, my house will be a house of prayer is actually a quote from Isaiah chapter 56. That this beautiful imagery of what God what the temple should be and how it should draw in people. As in that passage in verse six, as the foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord and minister to him, these I will give to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. I love that. In Isaiah 56, this picture is being painted for those, you know, for those on the margins of society. And that passage talking about Munich, talking about the foreigners, those outsiders, but inside God's kingdom for the widow, the oppressed, uh, the downtrodden, the poor, those who are going through difficult and, difficult and challenging times. The house of God was supposed to be a place where people from all nations could come and worship God and experience his presence. You see, but one of the problems with the temple was that people made it about sacrifice. And sacrifices were good, but they were a means to an end. They were a part of just a system of worship that should have pointed us to God's presence and experiencing him there. The temple, the house of prayer for all nations, was a place where people could come and experience the presence of God. I think in Luke, this is why Jesus is so angry and he says, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a what? A den of robbers. He's quoting from Jeremiah 7. And instead of having a place that's welcoming to the poor and to the foreigner and those who are traveling from far away, you've created this consumeristic system here that hinders those who are on the margins from entering into God's presence. You've turned this whole thing into a money-making venture rather than helping people focus on Yahweh and worship him and, experiencing, and experience him. You see, the people had lost the purpose of what the temple was for. It was a place to experience God's presence, especially through prayer. You know, I think even today, many churches lose sight of this. Many churches almost value their building or their facilities more than the people that gather there and the people that surround their building. You know, a building isn't bad. It's actually a gift from God, just like the temple sacrificial system was. It was supposed to point them to God. But sometimes 
But a church is meant to be a means that moves people to God. You know, that's why we really just feel like it's God's blessing that we're actually gathering on Zoom today. We wanted to just even spend time after our after the sermon, just spending time praying together. God's kind of gifted us this year. Uh, we've been preaching about prayer. It just happens to be that as we dive back into Luke, Luke's passage is about prayer as well. Uh, I just feel like that's God's blessing and anointing. And as this week, we're, we just kind of chose to come on Zoom, just connect in this way more. I think it's a real blessing because I think God is just breeding it, like just creating in us just this passion for prayer and helping us see the need for prayer. And one of the things about prayer is it's not so much about praying for something, but entering into God's presence. You know, praying together, and I just invite you after the service just to join us for prayer if you're able. And if you can't, that's no worries as well. But there's something powerful about praying together. I mean, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm a person who really likes to just to pray on my own. I kind of like, I love intercessory prayer. And I love just spending my own time praying. So actually praying with others is kind of a, a leap or a jump for me. It takes a bit more effort. It's not as natural. But there's something powerful about corporate prayer and worship. My wife talked years ago about going to Urbana's missions conference. Over 10,000 people gathered in the U.S. And she said the most powerful and clearest memory she has of that time was just tens of thousands of people worshiping and praying in the spirit together. There is something unique and powerful about worshiping our God. Even our society chases that same experience. That's why people go to sports events or music concerts. It kind of provides that same feel, but not centered on Christ. There's something powerful about gathering together and worshiping God. When we gather together for prayer, there's so many beautiful things that happen. We give up our human agendas and what we want to do, and we follow God's lead. If there's one thing I've learned, you can't control the prayer meeting. And you watch God's spirit take over and take the lead. Also, prayer gatherings together are a beautiful chance to learn to hear God's voice. It allows us to hear his, the whisperings in our soul and respond to them. And as he prompts us to pray, we pray. As someone else prays, it leads, the Spirit leads us to respond to their prayer and helps us hear God's voice in the everyday. Another thing about prayer, and especially for those of you who are new to prayer or, or, or feel intimidated about praying in groups, I just want to bless you with this. Praying corporately or with others is actually the best way to learn how to pray. No one ever gave me a manual and said, Tim, follow these seven things. This is how you pray. No, I listened to like the veterans of prayer when I was too intimidated to pray out loud. And I would just sit and listen to them. And that was just one of the best ways to learn how they just entered into God's presence through prayer. And some of the joys as we pray together, it's just that we get to participate in God's mission as our will is aligned with his will. And ultimately the fruit is that we're brought into his presence and we experience peace, that deep sense of peace of knowing God and worshiping God. You know, not for me, it's not going to be downtown after my kids go to bed. It's not going to be alone time for the introverts or people time for the extroverts, but it's the presence of God that actually gives us peace in our life for the times of difficulty and challenges that we're going through. So come. Join us today as we spend time in prayer, as we pray and draw into God's presence.
Now, I know some of you may just be wondering, how, how do I draw into God's presence? There's so many challenges to that, and there are. Um, I know one for me is just uh, my attention span. Anyone who knows me well knows my attention span is very short, and sometimes I have trouble focusing. I'll be praying, and then I'll be thinking about why I need to change my snow tires, and then my mind will drift to the Blue Jays offseason, wondering, will they find any players this year? And then I'll be like, oh, yeah, wait, God, I was supposed to be praying to you. I'm so sorry. I just, you know, if you're like me in any form of that, just gift you with the grace. And my dad taught me this. Like, when your mind trips, just say, hey, sorry, God, I'm back. And just resume from there. Now, we lose our attention. Uh, we lose our focus, and that's okay. Just allow that as an opportunity to refocus you upon God. Another thing I just, another challenge and a hindrance to prayer is just our stage of life. You know, some of us uh, used to love sitting down and being still before the Lord, but now we have several kids and our house is never quiet. Some of us love, uh, you know, just to go out in nature and enjoy walks. And now this stay at home order is just killing our soul. Some of us, and I know this as, as we get older, as we experience health issues, physical pain really hinders us from, you know, focusing and praying. Even this pandemic is exhausting. I'm sure many of you have just found it harder to engage with scripture and found it harder to spend time praying in the midst of this pandemic because it's just the same old and it seems so draining and we're disconnected from others and we're also sometimes disconnected from God. I just want to bless you in this season to experience God's grace. Whether you're a young parent, whether you're just going through physical pain, whether you're just feeling exhausted by this season, you know, I just want you to know that God loves you and cherishes you deeply. Yet I encourage you at the same time just to lean into him, even if it's little bits of prayer, even if it, your prayer life changes. And my prayer life has drastically changed. Uh, I no longer have quiet mornings where I can sit with the kids. I have time with three kids running around or curled up or climbing on top of me, trying to pray and focus and be with God. And that's okay. Uh, God adores that and loves that. Um, yeah. Finally, I just think the last thing I think that hinders us from prayer, honestly, is just our phones and our connectivity with devices. You know, when we are busy and, and when we're just kind of like exhausted and tired, what's the first thing we often do? Just kind of grab our phone and we do something with it, right? And often, if we're able to just keep that phone in a different room or somewhere far away, in those moments where we feel antsy, exhausted, we just put our phone down. And it's nowhere near to us, and we're just not as distracted. And so one thing I just encourage you as you grow into his presence, as you pray, is just leave the phone in a different room. Do something weird. Use a physical Bible. Um, I know that's not something that doesn't always happen for many of us, but it just allows us to be disconnected from the things that distract us. Um, I've even learned in recent years when I'm preparing my sermons, actually, turn off my Wi-Fi signal because it's so easy for me to get distracted as I'm thinking and praying and journaling. It's so easy for me to fall into that trap. And so I just encourage you, find ways just to disconnect and draw it and give yourself that space that's quiet and undisturbed in order to enter into his presence. I think of it often, if I'm rushing from place to place to place and I get to a meeting just on time and I rush to get there, I'm mentally not there for a few minutes because my heart is prepared to be there. And so when we create space in our homes and in our lives that are just slower and quieter, it allows us to enter into his presence more continually through the day and as we go. We experience the peace of Jesus 
as we enter his presence through prayer. Now, before we end our time, just a reminder, come join us after the service. What we'll do after I close this in prayer is we'll have two to three minutes just to linger and hang out. You can say hi and bye to one another. And then we'll just, or grab a coffee or do whatever you need to do. And then we'll gather back up and spend at least a half hour praying together. My blessing for you this week is simply when we learn the joy of prayer and drawing into his presence, we experience the deep peace of Jesus that we can find nowhere else because our wills are aligned with his will. And when we do that, our life has purpose. He gives us meaning and value and hope. We live in community and we journey with others and we passionately serve his mission. So as you go into your week, I just want to bless you. Be intentional. Have grace upon yourself. You experience Christ's grace in your life for whatever season you're in. But just move and cultivate a rhythm in your home and your life that allows you to draw deeper into his presence. Let me pray for us. Father, I just cry out to you. We know it's just so difficult with this new stay-at-home order. And as we may feel trapped, exhausted, not able to focus, I pray that you will give us your grace and you will help us focus upon you, that you will help us experience, help us experience your deep peace as we enter your presence through prayer. So, Father, we just pray for more of you, that you would show yourself more to us, that we would experience the, your presence as we, you know, as we walk the dog, as we care for our kids, as we, as we drive uh, our parents uh, to their doctor's appointments as we go through all the mundane details of life. May your presence be real and just you be real with us at every moment of each day. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our peace and we can experience your presence as we journey into prayer. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.